sure. Wait, that was the wrong answer, wasn't it? That's okay. I, I'm, I'm fast in the brain, so I'm sure I will catch up. Thanks for having me. Excited to be back. Yeah, not not our longest hiatus, I will point out, but yes. True. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing a quiz show about robot, giant robot anime. So we probably expect most of you to do really, really good at that. But we're going to throw in a few ringer questions about sports just so John can win. <laughs> They're saying your mic is off. <laughs> oh, oh, this is awesome. This is better than the best ever and then so <laughs> I have no idea what this conversation sounds like from the other side when you're not hearing John's responses like all of my responses are going to seem just like absolutely unintelligible gibberish all right, let, let me start this then, I guess. If if John isn't getting hard, let me start this then. This is Geek Gab with your host, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Tuesday, February 12th, 2019. Happy, happy Blade Runner year, folks. If you have watched the movie, and I've seen like all five of the cuts of the movie, 2019 is the year in which Blade Runner takes place. And so I am, of course, expecting a lot more rain in Los Angeles. I am expecting giant blimps with TVs on the side, biological androids and colonies out in space, because otherwise I will have been cheated. Special guest on the show today, our former fellow host, Brian Niemeyer, who has written a book, and this is where that sort of attempted joke came from earlier that you only heard half the conversation, he has written two books about giant robot mechs fighting machines. And he's here today to talk about his current Kickstarter. Now, I hear that's going really well. 
Yeah, we're over 80% funded. It's only day two. So it's it's going really strong. And first of all, I want to ask the chat, since uh, we had some technical issues, can you hear me now? Am I, am I coming through chat? There's a little delay here, so I'll just keep they, talking. They, uh, the people in chat have already said that they heard you. Okay, because some were saying that they didn't. Okay, we, we have confirmation. Excellent. Yeah, I'm uh, doing a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo for Combat Frame Exceed Coalition Year 40, the sequel to my hit Martial Thriller, as, uh, pulp archive, uh, as the pulp archivist called it, um, Combat Frame Exceed. Maybe we should be asking him, but why did he call it a martial thriller? Well, that's one of those insights that um, you as an author only really get after people have read the book and have had a, a chance to um, reinterpret it and bounce it back at you. So I never really know what to call my, my books exactly until I get feedback. So I call it Mobile Suit Gundam meets Tom Clancy because... My aim was not just to mimic and ape the tropes of either real robot series like Macross or, or Gundam and just do kind of like um, animated mash in space or to do space marines caught in the trench warfare grinder of more like Battletech or Western Mecha. So I, I wanted to kind of take the best bits of both and combine them and do my own thing. So... It, it's me. I love lots of shifting alliances, backstabbings, plot twists. So just taking those elements and running them through my brain, you end up with uh, yeah all the great giant robot action and explosions, but also quite a bit of intrigue and skullduggery. Now I'm going to jump in here because I have a feeling they can hear me now. Well, <laughs> let's, hope. let's hope so. <laughs> I think that we we had more technical issues in the first few minutes of this show than we typically do in like an entire show. It was just really impressive. That's why I was laughing. All right. Chat confirms problems solved. Thank you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I need to mute for seconds. So I'll be back. I did my first proper Geek Gab intro, too. It's completely lost. Completely lost. Uh, yeah, they're going to text me earlier. Yeah, John, that wasn't so great. Uh, about uh, Combat Frame Exceed. So, so as usual, I'm coming from the perspective of someone without the background knowledge. I mean, yeah, I watched Voltron as a kid, but I, I, don't, I wasn't into the mecha stuff. Uh, so coming at it fresh, yeah, it's, it, I don't know why you would call it a thriller, but it's... Uh, it's got a ton of action, and, and, and what I like about it isn't that it's just giant robots with laser swords, but it's uh, each of the different characters has a different point of view on the whole situation. And so, yeah, alliances shift, new information is revealed during or after every encounter with giant robots punching and slashing each other, right? So it sort of it it maintains a, a quick pace in its... Uh, it's interesting. Stuff's always happening, and that stuff is always important to the story. So that's where I, I come from. And again, that's uh, top-shelf feedback. That's the kind of stuff that authors love to hear. It helps us refine our game, 
because my job is to entertain you guys. And that's why I've always said critics are so important because if you don't get feedback, you can't know what you're doing right and doing wrong. So my job is to do more of what you guys like and less of what you don't. So uh, based on the reviews for Exit, I will say that it's uh, my best reviewed book yet. You, you'll really never, review. ever, ever get a job in Hollywood with that attitude. Good. <laughs> Leave that to Ever. story. <laughs> Doing what audiences want. That's like anathema now. It's crazy, yeah. man. Yeah, far out. So you said you said that the first book was your best reviewed book? I just put because I got the Dead Tree version, so I I didn't get my review in until like last week. Well, that's fine. No, and so far, like across um all the various regions of Amazon and then um, friend of the show Wolfman at large did a video review on YouTube. I've had some, I've had a few other reviews um, of Amazon, like uh, the, the mix of reviews right now, you know, with, um, only like 15 is about the same as like my last couple of soul cycle books, which, which is good, but the intensity and the, the excitement that uh, just really leap, leap off the page and reading the reviews shows that um, I think I've really tapped into something. I think I've really caught lightning in a bottle here. And that's really what I set out to do because with Combat Frame Exceed, I purposefully set out to do a series that is less, shall we say, heady than the Soul Cycle. I mean, I lots of people love the Soul Cycle. I love the Soul Cycle. Soul Dancer won me a, a Dragon Award. But of the was well, a critical feedback I got for the Soul Cycle. The most common criticism was, yeah, it's there's a pretty high, it's a pretty steep learning curve. It's a pretty deep pool, and I just kind of throw you in there to explore or possibly drown. And uh, yeah, so that there was there was a bit of a variant entry. I wanted new readers, fresh off the boat like you, to be able to just jump right into Comet Frame Exceed. Immediately know who the characters are, know what they want, and know what's going on. Uh, in 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 light of that, you uh, you started the you started the book with like a glossary and and introduction of characters. That's something that you picked up from the Soul Cycle, right? Yeah, actually, our good buddy Jeff Dunteman, uh, editor, publisher, and author, who's been on the Gab before, suggested that to me. As a way to kind of mitigate those same issues in uh, in the Soul Cycle, because he read an Ethereal and Soul Dancer and loved them and said, "Yeah, but what I do is I would move the glossary to the front and include like a list of dramatis persona because he does that in his books." And yeah, I immediately had readers come to me saying that really helps. So I just carried it over. Well, I I don't know if the uh, the glossary uh, was definitely a help when I read through the book. And I pretty much read it in one sitting, but the, and the characters, and, and I hope you take this as a compliment, the Germanus uh, personae was less useful because uh, when I encountered the character in the book, I said, oh, I think, I think I remember him mentioning that character at the beginning, but uh, the characters in Combat Frame Exceed are, are very individualistic and, and you sort of paint them with broad strokes. So it was easy to identify them. I sort of, I understood the characters uh, without necessarily having to refer back to that opening section. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. 
because I found my characters are kind of an inkblot test for readers. And the way that people react to my characters across all my works really, I think, says a lot about how the reviewer engages with books and the kind of characterization that you like to see. Because, yeah, the number one thing that people pointed out about Comic Free Mexico is they, they love the characters. They point out how the characters' motivations and goals are always important to the plot. They're always what's driving the plot. Like Zeke's quest for revenge, Zane's just single-minded autistic pursuit of his combat frame. Todd's just kind of plucky chivalry and uh, German nationalism. So if, if readers are more, shall I say, goal-oriented with, with characters, those guys are getting right into it and they are just driving with a book immediately. Now there, there is a school of writing where you're like, okay, well, I'm going to like, I don't know, color code all the characters to give each one a different funny hat or something. So like, if you, if you really rely on, if, if you're more of a visual thinker and you're on like a uh, quirks or like uh, you know, this guy's, dyed hair or mohawk or something, then I, I tend to I, I tend to abide by the, the horror writer's maxim that what I can describe is never going to beat what you can conjure in your head. So like you said, that's why I tend to give broad strokes with descriptions. I try to give just the three most significant descriptors and just get into the action. So that can be a hurdle for some people, but... Um, those who are, again, coming like less from movies, for example, less from visual media, and who are dedicated readers, they are really digging my style more, I find. And luckily, it's a majority. Well, that's really cool. And, and I think you've done both uh, because many of the characters in the book, and this is a spoiler. Uh, many of the characters have their own personalized custom combat frames that they pilot. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure everybody reading it kind of has a favorite. Yeah, Zane has emerged as a, a pretty clear favorite. I don't know about you. Was uh, which was your favorite character? Oh, take a guess. Oh, uh, for you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. I have your wrong guy. I'm gonna go on a limb. All right. I'm gonna say Griff Larson. Griff Larson, uh, close. I liked, <laughs> and and I'm actually blanking on his name right now. The the French prince. Oh, Jean Claude. Yeah, I should have guessed Jean Claude. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I totally. I was, I was I was behind it. That might have been his choice of mech. That might have been his choice of mech that kind of hooked me in. Now, how did you come up with that mech? Was that one of the? Uh, the fan-designed mechs, or is that one of your design? That is not my design. Uh, that was designed by a buddy of mine who um, is an actual visual artist. He, he did the cover for my Strange Matter anthology, which you can find now on Amazon, and which also contains... Oh, so here's a special Easter egg exclusive for you Geek Gab listeners. If you've already read the first book and the CY2 Gaiden bridge story that connects... Comic from Exceed and Collision Year 40, and you want more, check out Strange Matter, because the story Anasyclosis 
takes place in the Exceed universe, and it bridges Coalition Year 40 and Common Frame Xseed S, the, the third book. Is that the short story set like in a far-flung colony somewhere? Yes, it is. Ah, oh, I remember that story. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, and, yeah. but, but I was thinking uh, we've got uh, Bradford Walker and who said that? Uh, DJ Schreffler in chat did a fan design. He, he designed the uh, one of the mechs we see in the book, right? He designed the, the Kerr first, which is uh, partially in, inspired by Van Teef, which is Jean-Claude's dueling combat frame. And uh, yeah, DJ was one of our, our backers from the, the first Indiegogo. He bought the Build-A-Mech, oh, like two of which are available, guys. If you like DJ's Kerr first design, which uh, people live in the chat can see in his avatar there, um, I'm offering two chances to design a canonical mecha that will be in the book, and uh, we'll get um, our great concept artist Art Anon to do a uh, do a draw up for you. But anyway, yeah, DJ said I want to do something like Van Teef, but the German version. <laughs> and uh, so he came up with this awesome mech design with like the the winged helmet and like a Zweihander heat chain sword. Just yeah, I couldn't I couldn't help but picture Siegfried from Soul Calibur. Uh, you know, 30 feet tall. I think DJ's going to be pleased to hear that because that's basically what he told me. <laughs> <laughs> and then that appears in um, the CY2 Gaiden story that um, is exclusive to my Nova Frontier Exceed newsletter subscribers. And uh, you can sign up for that in uh, the back of the ebook version of Comet Frame Exceed. And uh, when Collision Your 40 is released, there's going to be another link to sign up for Nova Frontier in, uh, in the back matter of that book. Now, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and judge uh, DW's silence to indicate that he has yet to read uh, any of the stories. Now, people people know that. People know I'm, I'm neck deep in big, huge, massive project, which is coming along swimmingly. I am so ding excited. Um, Good to have you. I will reveal that it's not just a role-playing game. I'm doing some stories for it, and I've got the first one plotted out. I've been working on that this last uh, three, four, five weeks. Um, but my point in saying this is everybody knows I have no space for, like, recreational reading. Every single thing I do, every movie I watch, every game I play, every book I read uh, is focused around the project. So... It's, it's not a personal thing. Like, I don't read anything. I don't even read books I like. I spent, like, 15 bucks to buy the Larry Korea e-arc for the new Son of the Black Sword trilogy, like, what, five, six months ago? The book came out this week, and I still haven't gotten around to reading the book. I spent three times as much as I needed to on so I could read it early. That's how crowded my schedule is oh man <laughs> excuse well we'll have to we'll have to convince daddy warpig to add a, a giant robot chapter to his big project what do you say i will i do have a uh i do have a, a steampunk world that has gigantic mechs in it 
um, that jump off the side of a flying city to deploy in combat. I have a uh, another world that is a uh, kung fu punk world that has mechs in it. Um, and there's at least one other one, but I don't know which one it is yet. So, yeah. I have a battle at an, L port in, at an airport in Los Angeles between Stingpunk mechs and sleek, like Robotech-style mechs that, without the transforming. Sounds good. That sounds good. So, so I'm uh, – and I was – I sort of disappeared from the Combat Frame Exceed uh, storyline. I, I was sort of out of it for a couple of months, and all of a sudden the book showed up at my, uh, at, at my new apartment. And I said, oh, this is going to be great. So I've missed basically all the stuff you've been up to for the past couple of months. Oh, wow. What, oh, wait, wait, what's your departure point? Well, what I mean, what I mean is I read the story and I loved it. And I don't really know what you're doing with this next book. I'm, I'm, I've inferred that it, it's, it's 40 years in the future. But that's, that's about as far as I got. Uh, giving me an opening for the elevator pitch. Challenge accepted. Okay, so as the last one was Mobile Suit Gundam meets Tom Clancy. This one is Gundam Wing, specifically, meets the Count of Monte Cristo. Okay, so, so I, I've read the Count of Monte Cristo and, and seen a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio in it, but uh, I don't know about this Gundam Wing thing. Okay. Yeah. Gundam Wing is... It was Gundam's chance to break out in the United States. Of all the Gundam series, it's the one that did the best here. So if you go to Anime Con, the Gundam cosplayers are most likely to see are from Gundam Wing, and they're most likely to be girls because for some reason, uh, female cosplayers love to dress up as the male Gundam pilots from that series. I, I don't quite get it. But uh, that's not really important to the book. Are, are you, so you're not trying to break into the the female reader audience on this one? No, no I'm, <laughs> right, I'm writing men's adventure. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'm not sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you said, this book picks up 40 years, technically 39 after the uh, end of Comet Frame X Seed, and the Systems Over Terrestrial Coalition, the the nanny state from space has long ago consolidated their rule over the earth and they have consigned native earthlings who are uh, derogatorily called grounders in, in this universe to second class citizenship. So they're, they're barred from the, the best jobs. It's like if they enlist in the military, they can't get commissions or even warrants. They're basically limited to as, as uh, I believe, um, some uh, folks in the chat described to me that, yeah, most people in the military do like normal civilian jobs. They just wear uniforms, get yelled at more. So yeah, grinders are limited to like those jobs, right? Like, oh, I'm the mechanic in the coalition defense force. Sure, like a classic underclass. Yeah, they're permanent underclass because the the socks, which is a derogatory term for um, coalition citizens, believe that. Well, okay, you guys had this planet. And you messed it up. You let it descend to like almost Mad Max levels before the first book. But now we're here. We're going to re-civilize you, whether you like it or not. 
So the, the coalition just came in with their combat frames. Um, the American breakaway state formed from like um, mid-America and the middle Canadian provinces held out the longest by staging a protracted guerrilla war. And finally, the uh, coalition section finally just said, screw it, dropped a bunch of space rocks on America's breadbasket, uh, caused a nuclear winter, and starved the uh, last remnants of uh, America into submission. And that was about 20 years before um, this book starts, so like CY2, uh, CY20. That's a real, that's a real dark uh, timeline you got there. Yeah. <laughs> well, keep your eye on the news, folks. But uh, yeah, so after that, they came in and basically re-terraformed the Earth. So they'd be like, huh, well, you know, we don't really like where Denver's at. It's kind of inconvenient. Let's just uh, raise, let's just start over. Let's raise it and move that closer to natural resources. So what they, they did was they basically raised entire cities, dispossessed whole populations, found, okay, like here's where the, the biggest vein of local natural resources are. So let's, you know, build a mine, build like a labor camp around the mine and then build like an administrative center and city for our citizens to watch over it. And they did this worldwide. So instead of these ancient cities with architecture going back to the middle ages, you've now just got like these perfect rationally planned grids around resource extraction centers. So yeah, they just taken the whole earth and basically turned it into a parking lot. But it sounds like you're making a point there, but the, before we get there, the, the picture in my mind is, is sort of like Ender's Game, only instead of piloting a fleet of spaceships, um, spoiler alert, he's, uh, he's, playing, uh, he's playing a copy of Sim City uh, and rearranging the face of the Earth by putting all the cities and things where he likes it. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the Sox played Sim City on a, they played Sim Earth. Okay. They did two to wow. whole Earth. So anyway, so into this situation, uh, you've still got a lingering remnant of the resistance from the first book and they've had to go underground, but they've been working to pass the torch to a new generation. And I don't think this would be too much of a spoiler to say that uh, they managed to get a hold of some of the big bad, big bad's plans from the first book who was initially developing super weapons to wipe out humanity wholesale. And the leadership of these underground groups have gotten a hold of this stuff. But again, um, in reference to Ender's game, they don't have the pilots who are ruthless enough to use it. So like, again, taking a cue from like the, the Kazoku, they, and uh, readers of the book will know what that is. They're, the um, brainwashed, zealous, fanatical army of the Big Bad from the first book. They want to create their own human version of that to use against the coalition. So it's a judo jujitsu. They're trying to use the Sox weapons against them. And they've started this secret, highly clandestine training program to bring up these suitable freedom fighters from birth, but who don't know that they're like living in a simulation that uh, they're, they're 
their lives are a grueling, brutal military training program. And one of these cells, the one we focus on, is based out of the Brussels Service Academy in what used to be Belgium. And it's now the Coalition Western European region. And this is where I take my cue from Gun Wing because most of the main characters are teenagers. But for the, the same reason as Ender's game, Ender's game, that they're they're malleable enough, they're adaptive enough to be able to do what needs to be done really without questioning it. And I uh, don't really spoil too much more, but uh, yeah, at some point, um, these uh, these crazy kids might get a hold of um, some uh, world-destroying super weapons and wreck civilization for the better. Wow, that's uh, and you're walking a fine line there because because my other admittedly limited mecha uh, exposure is to uh, a, another set of teenagers in Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, uh, I, I can hear the boos and the hisses from chat already. Uh, but so are uh, are you trying? To, are you gonna? Are you writing a coming of age story for these? Uh, these child soldiers, or are you avoiding some of the pitfalls that uh, Evangelion leapt into? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying really hard to avoid the pitfalls of Evangelion. I honestly did my Eva stuff in the Soul Cycle, really got that out of my system. So, no, we're, we're not going to be seeing like angsty, emo teens who really have no redeeming qualities getting stuffed into cockpits against their will um, because it's more the real robot genre with, with Xseed. What I am doing is showing some of the, the guys who uh, were on the periphery who just kind of get caught up in it because like these, uh, these teen super soldiers do have allies who have not gone through the, the same stuff as them, but they, you know, they, every military needs support. Right. So what I, I do have a couple characters who are just like Joe teenager from next door who get caught up in this. And we, we do see how they react to seeing people incinerated in front of them and having to incinerate people. Because what I'm trying to avoid is, uh, you know, D and D players will be familiar with this the fact that every D and D character is a sociopath. Oh, murder hobo. Yeah. Cause normal people, are, are not that gleeful and nonchalant about just wiping out an entire war bands of sentient beings. You know, if you're, you don't, you don't get, if you don't at least get to get the shakes or some nightmares afterward, you know, you might fail the void comp test there. So yeah. Yeah. Because I'm taking relatively normal characters, at least some of them and uh, throwing them into a, a, visceral, irregular, really terrorist campaign. Yeah, there you know, are going to be some scars from that, and I'm going to show it. But it's not the main theme. The main theme is revenge. Uh, I I like it. Uh, I, I think uh, the 40-year jump is sort of interesting. Uh, it, is there, uh, aside from the, it's obviously you wanted to sort of accelerate the conflict and, and have a slightly different setting. 
uh, is there any particular reason why you made such a big jump? Like, why, why couldn't this have been, you know, three years later or, or 10 years later or something like that? Like, why, why such, why a whole generation, basically? Yeah, because you know how I actually wrote Soul Dancer first and then I realized, hmm, I need some background info. Let's go back and write an ethereal. I did it again. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Coalition Year 40 was actually the story I wanted to start with. And during the outline phase, I I basically finished the first draft of the outline and realized, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to go back and fill in some of this stuff or no one's gonna understand the context. And I I actually did both about the same time because um both the soul cycle and combat frame exceed go back like 15 years. I would stagger it. So I outlined ethereal, like, okay, I'm tired of this philosophical horror stuff. Let's do some giant robots. Then outline coalition year 40, or rather outline soul dancer, outline coalition year 40, outline ethereal, outlined exceed. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, well, it's always better to get a backstory book like that out of the way right at the beginning and until, you know, you never want to wait until after book five of a, of a really big series to screw everybody up out of book six and go back and write a prequel nobody cares about. <laughs> it seems like a reference, but it, it's good advice for anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to you don't want to be that guy to just write write a prequel and suddenly all those things that everybody thought was cool in the first book really lose all that that interesting uh all that interest. Yeah. And the and the reason that um it takes a whole generation is I wanted there to be a reasonable amount of time that passed to get everything in place. So really it, it is based on my best shot at the uh, real world logistics. You know, how long would it take um, an interfering space empire to transform the face of the earth? How long would it take to get this clandestine pilot training program rolling under this nanny surveillance state's nose? So yeah, the, the good guys for want of a better term had to act really slowly and super carefully to avoid detection. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit because it sounds really, uh, I really like the first book uh, so much that I'm, I'm probably going to check this out, but I'm curious to know about how much of this setting we're going to see because you've mentioned book three and over the past year, the past few times we've spoken, we've talked about how, uh, you and a lot of other authors are emulating. In fact, I remember uh, seeing John De La Rose uh, hanging out in chat earlier. He's doing the same thing. He he He's writing as many different things as he can and, and sticking to like a 30-day, 45-day release schedule. Uh, are you doing that sort of thing with the this XSEED setting? Or, or what's your pace like these days? Well... As I announced in the very first XSEED Indiegogo campaign, my goal was to try to emulate the Nick Cole approach. And um, whereas he's got a co-author, so they're releasing a book every month in Galaxy's Edge. I'm doing this on my own, so I figured, okay, every 60 days. Sure. It, uh, looks, yeah, it looks like I should be able to I should be able to pull off two months on Coalition Year 40. So um, I'm looking for that to come out next month. And let me see here. 
yeah, I um, I launched uh, the first book in January. So I should be able to hit that now. What's going to determine where I go from here is how this current Indiegogo goes because it's not just to fund Coalition Year 40, which um, the, the first one more than halfway funded anyway. I'm doing this weird stagger step thing where to, to avoid late fulfillment and broken promises, I make sure that I've got a significant amount of the project done before I launch the crowdfunding. Okay. So as you can see, we've already got the ebook cover for Coalition Year 40 done. Um, I just need a little bit more scratch to do the, the full paperback cover for my awesome artist, uh, Todd Everhart, and to do some more promotional art from um, some, some other artists and for further additional costs. Now, that initial $1,000 goal will cover that. So then whatever we do above and beyond that will go toward book three, Comet Frame Exceed S. So it, it really depends. Um, if I have to, I mean, if, uh, if for some reason this one doesn't do as well as the first one, I may have to wait, let people's Walter charge a bit, do another Indiegogo just for book three, and then launch book three after that. But uh, as always, I'll keep you guys posted on my blog, Kairos, and on Twitter. And uh, let me put it this way. If you're really liking what I'm doing and um, you can't wait to read Comet Frame Exceed S, then uh, mash that link below in the show notes and head over to Indiegogo and hand me over that paper. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I I really I really liked it. I I'm I'm tempted to design a mech for you, but you've got that fine text over there that says requires mutual agreement. So I don't know if we could ever come to terms on a. Well, think of it like this. No, think of it like this. Think of it as character gym. That's what I've been doing with the guys who uh, request the stuff. You can ask DJ. We go back and forth over over email, and I'm I I, I am kind. I'm gentle, so I'm more than willing work with you and also um it's kind of a spoiler but you can kind of see it coming in the first book anyway alien mecha are allowed for this one so you can get weird yeah that was a that was a little spoiler tucked in the indiegogo campaign i enjoyed that great um uh, that sounds awesome yeah i'm i'm actually looking forward to reading this because i really liked the the first one, if I may, if if I may wax uh, for a moment and and thoroughly embarrass you, um, I think that having having done the show with you for so long and read all the books from Ethereal through the Soul Cycle into Combat Frame Exceed, there's a clear progression in your style and skill as a writer, and if if someone if someone just read the Ophian Rising, the finish of the Soul Cycle, and went, "Wow, this is this is a complete 180 from what Nathiriel and Soul Dancer was," uh, you just sort of took that and ran with that in the Mecha series. And as a reader, it suits me more. I don't know if it suits you as a writer more. Uh, you seem to be happy with the output, but as a reader, it definitely suits me more. Yeah, that that was deliberate, and honestly. My favorite project is whatever I'm doing right now. 
because if it doesn't keep me interested, it's not going to be fun for you guys. So no, I, I am loving it. I'm digging the giant robots. I, I just can't wait to get to the next book and show you guys what I've got in store. Cause again, I've got all these outlined. I know where we're going. And, and actually your, your fans and all the mecha guys, they've been hanging out in chat the whole time. They love this stuff. They've been talking Gundam and Votoms and, and whatever else this whole time. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask the unasked question that everybody in chat wants to know. When are we getting the anime? <laughs> well, well, once again, um, I, I will point out that the, the link to the Indiegogo is below. And um, we haven't unlocked our first stretch goal yet. But uh, I, I have stretch goals in mind. Now, I have been approached by folks who, who are animators or are studying to become animators. And they've come to me and said, oh, wow, I, I can totally picture this as an anime. Um Christopher in chat has said, yeah, I totally picture this as like a six-episode OVA. Or uh, I, I think it was J.D. Cowan who said, yeah, like something about Sunrise. I would love to do that. That is honestly my deepest desire as an artist would be to see Comet Frame X Seed animated. Or heck, to, to see the, the Soul Cycle animated or live action. But it's incredibly expensive, so we would probably have to raise like a couple order of magnitudes more than we have so far. Uh, so I'm passing the baton to you guys. If uh, if anyone is crazy enough or profligate enough to give me that kind of money, I will do it. I, I'm fully on board. It's just a matter of logistics. That sounds awesome. I'll, we'll have to we'll have to look up the cost of a room full of Korean animators. Uh, off the air and and see if we can pool our funds together. What's all about people helping people? <laughs> oh, that sounds really awesome. I'll I'll, uh, I'll spring for the anti-suicide nets outside the studio and everything. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, I, I miss your dark humor, Brian. Really? Um, I want to get that. I want to. I want to make an appointment. Um, <laughs> get some help. Is is that is that a, a humor joke? Oh wow, that we're, was. We're going meta. <laughs> um, I think I think we've uh, we've exhausted the uh, the mecha conversation for a minute. Is there anything else that's going on in the, in your in your work or or your your gaming life or anything you want to chat about? Nah, actually, it's pretty all consuming at this point. I think I got like uh, four hours of sleep last night, but uh, pretty wired watching over the uh, Indiegogo like a mother hen, constantly hitting refresh to uh, see those those um, new backers coming in. I love in each and every one of y'all. Um, the thing that people who want to be writers should realize is at a certain point, the sheer necessity to get things done means the project swallows up the rest of your life. You just have to concentrate on it for a while and it's very very hard to break out of that and i'm not saying this is a bad thing i'm not warning you against it i'm just saying you ought to be aware of it and prepare for it um because you're going to have to break out of that for a few things like if you've got a spouse and children and a job but uh, at some point it's going to 
envelop everything because there's just work you have to get done and now is the time to get it done. Absolutely. You're in pure monk mode right now. I see how it is. Yeah, I mean, look, that's that's the price. I mean, I, uh, I'm i talking to you guys from my, my home office right now, you know, the, uh, the scriptorium as I call it, and I get to get up every day and come in here and work, you know, work, work my butt off for you. Instead of having to get up in the in the cold, I'm in Illinois right now. You guys who are Larry Korea fans may have uh, may have followed this Polar Vortex tour, where his flight to Virginia out of Illinois was delayed by like six hours. Because yeah, every winter this place turns into a skating rink. We don't really we don't really get the nice fluffy snow like they get further north. Uh, it just rains and then freezes. But I don't have to scrape off my car every morning and go out in that and go to a cube farm and listen to other people's problems. I just get to make stuff up. And the price of that is it becomes my life. So are you still doing um, editing work? Yes, I am. I have a feeling this was answered earlier in the conversation and I missed it. No, I don't think so. Um, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm currently editing uh, the latest book by awesome author Adam Lane Smith. Uh, it's the second one in a row of his I've edited because uh, I just put the finishing touches on Maxwell Kane Burrito Avenger for him. And now he's uh, polishing it up based on my edits. And uh, the current one I'm editing for him is um, Change of Direction Form. It's a YA Neolithic fantasy novel. So stay tuned for that. Uh, he's, he's a great author. I think you're going to have a lot of fun. YA Neolithic. I'm sorry. I'm stunned by that one. Is that, a, is that actually a genre? Uh, it is now, because he he made it. Oh, that's right. I I remember that that's a romance genre. The 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 whole time traveling thoughts, right? That's a, that's a romance genre. Uh, I haven't come across any thoughts yet, but I'll I'll let you know. Well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Sorry about the polar vortex. Holy cow! That was you. Yeah. Why? Well, I, I, I was playing around on Google Earth, and I, I just drew a bunch of a big pair of uh, breasts over the Great Lakes region. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to spend 40 years raising up a child soldier army to destroy you. Nothing personal. It's business. That's how I'll know I've made it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we did get a question or two from chat. Uh, let's see, JD. How much to unlock the tier to get Jim Fear to sing the theme song? As before, that is going to be five grand. So a little, little, uh, little preview for you. Jim but yeah, first, go, go ahead. ahead. Jim Fear is a popular guy. Yeah, it. Uh, when we hit five thousand, uh, just like last time, which we we didn't quite make it to. We we got close. Um, he's going to do an audiobook. Uh, we'll we'll have to start with the first book, but uh, yeah, we'll do a comment frame exceed audiobook, and uh, he he has agreed to sing. I know I got to check with him and make sure that promise is still valid. But uh, he might be drinking that day. <laughs> so yeah, so let's uh, let's get let's get cracking. Let's hit that first thousand dollar mark, and then we'll start unlocking the stretch goals and uh, get the ball rolling from there. Yeah, if Jim was sober that day, he might have made promises he didn't intend to keep. Yeah. 
I hope he listens to this. That's a good, that's a good one. Yeah, we should be going on his show. We'll send him the link. He he's too busy yeah. doing his own show. Uh, uh, Kevin Jarrah asks what sounds like an inside baseball question. Uh, do we have a char for this book? Yeah, what is that? I saw that in the chat of uh, of the uh, Gundam discussion. What, what what the heck does that mean? Oh, I get to explain a char asnable. All right, chat, strap in. So I know there's some guys in there who are going to be able to correct me on this, but oh, okay. It's actually, actually Char. It's a Char Aznable. And he's the iconic main villain from the original 1979 Mobile Suit Gundam series. Now, to get an idea of this guy's cultural impact in Japan and on anime in general, we, we really don't have an analog of Char in the West here. So like basically, try if you can to throw Darth Vader and Mr. Spock into a telepod, into the telepod in your head, right? And the result would come close to Char Aznable's cultural cachet in Japan. I mean, the the guy has his own monogrammed brand of Levi's jeans, his own like shiny red MasterCard. Um, he's He's basically everywhere you want to be. He's he's fabulous. And so in successive Gundam series, some of which even take place in alternate universes or timelines, arguably, there's always a character who is the Char. If you go through every Gundam series, it's it's a constant. There's a there's some guy who more or less fills his role. And identifying characteristics of the Char are one, he's almost always blonde, either just like golden blonde or sometimes platinum blonde. Sometimes some Chars have white hair. Like um, Zex Merkies from Gundam Wing is probably the most prominent and best Char who's not actually Char. Um, usually masked, at least part of the time, although that's not necessary. Sometimes you can substitute a pair of aviator sunglasses and usually has a complex relationship with his family almost always has a sister that is either a motivation for him or a source of conflict who may even be trying to kill him or vice versa by now if you've read the book you can probably figure out who the char is oh and oh yeah the, the yeah. biggest biggest signifier associated with the color red usually wears red always pilots a red or some sometimes mirrored metallic mobile suit oh well okay sure i mean it given that description that's pretty easy yeah even people who haven't read the book if you've read the prologue that you spoiled on your blog you've already introduced the char to everybody yeah yeah the, the char for comet frame x seed is really obvious all the gun fans who read it picked it up right away and yeah there is a Char in Coalition Year 40. I'm going in a slightly different direction with him, but um, he more or less fills the role. So yeah, the, the goal is that there, there will be a, a Char in each book. That's That cultural phenomenon thing's really weird. How did, how did you, American fans like you guys pick up on that character? Because he obviously is meaningless to us. It's 
it's hard to describe. It's like, how do I describe being in love to, to someone who's never had the sublime experience? Uh, I, I had a buddy on, uh, on, on Twitter, not, not John Dacre. I believe he's a, uh, he's a friend of the show. Watch through mobile suit Gundam for the first time going completely virgin. And after he got done, he, he just gushed about Charles like, Oh, good Lord. How can I forget this guy? So, so cold and calculating yet appealing. Like, wow, what, what a villain. So you just, it's like being told what the matrix is. You just, you have to experience Char for yourself and, and you'll get it. All right. I may have to do that on my own. I, I highly recommend it. Watch um, the three mobile suit Gundam compilation movies. They boil down the, uh, the first series quite well. Cool. I, I think we got a couple of questions uh, from Bradford Walker in chat. Uh, he, he, he doesn't want to skip to the enemy yet. He wants to know if there's any word on a comic adaptation. Again, see my answer to the, uh, the anime question only like take a zero off. It's just, uh, again, it's just a question of logistics. Would, would love to do it, but, um, yeah, artists, artists are expensive, rightfully so. And and comics are in a really weird place right now. I can't tell if they're dying or they're really hot. They're they're already dead. Yeah, the corpse just hasn't stopped moving yet. Not that they're going to stop publishing comics, but the current comic book industry, as it's predicated with uh, single issues of magazines being sold in physical stores, is going to have to be radically revamped in the next two to three years. It's just going to become an unsustainable business model. Yeah, I, I will totally co-sign that. And in, in fact, um, I'm partial to the theory that when you start seeing SJWs infiltrating an industry, we most people may have the chicken or the egg equation backwards, that it's actually a sign when that happens that the, the money has left the industry, that it's already dying. So they are more like maggots on a, a corpse as DW said, than like a, a virus that invades and kills the host. The, the host is already dead. So yeah, comics, comics basically died in the 90s. Well, that's too bad. In fact, I was just talking to Daddy Warpig before the show. I've never been a comics guy, so I, I don't know. Oh, that that's interesting. I think, uh, I, I think we're going to get one more question from the chat. Bradford Walker, I don't know if he meant it, but but he'd love a little bit more spoilers on, on this whole alien mecha idea. Yeah, so would I, because um, the reason I left two slots open for that on the Indiegogo is I want you guys to design the two main alien mecha that appear in Collision Year 40, because they're exactly two. And I figured I'd hand it over to you guys to contribute so I don't know what they are yet. Oh, so so you've already determined, you know, how they fit into the story, but the, the details on, on what they are and what they look like are totally uh, up for grabs. Yeah, totally. I invite you guys to come collaborate. And um, it's just uh, 200 bucks for the Build-A-Mech. Uh, you can ask. All right. DJ. We're going we're, we're to yeah. do, guys, everybody in chat, we're all going to chip in 10 bucks, and we're going to make the... Tentacle alien mech. 
Hey, if you want to do it by committee, if you want to like form a uh, like joint stock corporation to design a mech, I'm I'm totally down. Yeah, yeah combat, combat frame mech design LLC. All right, just just form a like Browning Engineering Corporation or Seed Corp, like in the like in the books. Ooh, that's it. All right, who's on board? Everybody in chat, if you're in, press one. Or press S to spit if you don't like it. <laughs> All right, guys, it's been it's been about an hour. Uh, anything else you want to chat about before we wrap it up? I, I want to do a rerun of like some of our old shows for a few minutes. Can we can we block off ten minutes for that? Oh, clip show. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, have you seen the new Star Wars Adventures? Uh, clips uh, on Twitter or on YouTube. Oh, I saw one. I, I saw a quick one that sort of uh, retconned the rescue on the Death Star. Yeah, yeah. So what Disney did is they decided they wanted to make cartoons that introduced people to Star Wars because Star Wars wasn't cool enough to introduce people to itself. Um, and so they took the audio clips from the original movie that is, you know, Luke, Han, and Leia, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, um, and they and all the, you know, all the sound effects, Chewie roaring, whatever, and they put entirely new animation on it. Now, I want to ask Brian, have you seen these yet? No what clips from it yet. No, it must uh, must fall back on the. Writing and editing have been all-consuming. Excuse. All right, we we, we you were you're allowed to alt tab and, and find this clip while DW talks. I just uh, and I'm gonna steal a um, steal a description from somebody on Twitter. It's like in one single step they turned uh, Princess Leah from a sassy space princess to a snarky bossy wench and i'm like yeah that's exactly what they did yeah that that's a fairly accurate description of that animation uh <laughs> the scene was already great <laughs> and, well it, here's the thing you remember the end of star wars and they're handing out the medals and they've got the inspiring marching music and all that of that's course a great moment and carrie fisher is standing there looking all sincere and just smiling really sweetly at Han and Luke, like she's proud of them for pride. blowing up the Death Star. Yeah, she's she's literally beaming with pride. Yeah, and then, like, in these new cartoons, she's got this smug smile on, like she did it all herself, and these guys are a bunch of doofuses. It's just... That's really weird. That's off-putting is what it is. Yeah. When I and saw like, it, it was just, it was really off-putting. Like Princess Leah was always a strong character, but she was kind of on an equal step with the men. She wasn't better than them. Um, you know, people say, well, look at this. She, she shot a hole in the floor and helped them escape. So it was all Princess Leah. I'm like, dude. She shot a hole in the floor and they escaped into a trash compactor and would have died. 
all three of them were brash and a little cocky in those scenes, and all three of them made mistakes. And that's what was great about the movie is that they weren't perfect people. They worked together. It wasn't like this super competent woman who, you know, showed all the stupid men how to get it done, which is what these cartoons are. Yeah, I just watched it. And your initial reaction. <laughs> it, it is uh, Cluster B personality disorders on parade. She, she looks psychotic. It's it's really bad. I, I they they've got that whole general Leia narrative thing. I I don't know what they're I don't know what they're trying to do, but the original scene was so great. The way she realizes that she's being rescued by just a couple of guys. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, Luke's this little farm boy. She's like, oh no, what what am I uh, what have I gotten into? Uh, and they turned it into some awful, you know psychotic snark yeah see this is exactly this is this is the perfect piece of evidence for my argument they couldn't have done this if star wars wasn't already dead like this this is the desecration of a corpse in in this case less figuratively than others since uh, sadly carrie fisher is no longer with us but if you look at the body language of psycho leia they completely warped Carrie Fisher's original excellent performance. They, they completely twisted it. It's, it's sad. I mean, in the original, Luke Skywalker throws that line up and he, you know, latches on and they swing across the gap. One of the most heroic movement mo moments in the entire series. And in this one, Luke gets all tangled up in the line because he's such an incompetent and Princess Leia has to go in and save him because strong female characters require that men be denigrated. Yeah, exactly. It's um it's vandalism. Yeah, I yeah, just thought I, that was I, I don't I don't know when we we unlearned this lesson, but that was one of the greatest things about uh, about Princess Leia, where she, you know, she had the temerity to just stand in Vader's uh, face and, you know, insult him as she's being dragged off to the gallows. And um, one of the reasons why Boba Fett became so popular was because the way he had the backbone to stand up to to Darth Vader and complain about the treatment of Han Solo, right? That sort of thing, like that. You respect those characters because of that. Not they don't have to be super competent, uh, kick ass, uh, do everything themselves type of characters. That they just show a little backbone, show a little grit. You know, I don't. I know Brian probably knows this better than I do, but uh, someone in the pulp rev circles just wrote an article on their blog, which is like the bumbling men and the women who hate them. Yeah, I believe that was uh, author Alex Elaine, who I've also edited. Also a great guy. Uh, yeah, and it's a great post, and it's perfect. I mean, it describes like Ant-Man and the Wasp, which we called out on the show, obviously, but still, it's a it's a great description of just what modern culture has turned into. It's it's the I mean, but we're beating. Speaking of corpses, we're beating a dead horse here. This is <laughs> this is something we've noticed in. Uh, it, did it start in sitcoms? It may have the you know the bumbling male 
uh, figures a staple of, of sitcoms. And it's uh, that sort of idea of a character just carried over into all stories uh, for, instead, of, instead of just being a stupid sitcom trope. It, it's as if it's as if everybody who writes this stuff nowadays grew up only watching The Simpsons or Family Guy. Yeah, what, what's really interesting is tying together both sitcoms and comics, you can tell that the, the emasculation of, of father figures and heroes was deliberate by looking at the early mistakes of the, 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 me, the media figures and the, the television and screenwriters trying to do this. Because look at All in the Family and look at Watchmen. Okay, Archie Bunker was originally created for you to hate. He was supposed to be the villain. He was the, the foil to Meathead. And people accidentally loved him because our cultural enemies don't know us. Right? They, they hadn't learned yet that uh, they need to be more subtle about it. Same thing with Rorschach. Alan Moore wrote Rorschach to be this right-wing weirdo, smelly, violent bum that you hate, but accidentally made him the only guy in the story with any integrity, so people love him. To, but yeah, they've, they've learned since. They've perfected the formula. See, the, the problem was is that Archie Bunker reminded everyone of their grandpa who was, yeah, maybe a little bit racist, but he wasn't actually a bad person at all. He just yeah. had attitudes of his time. And then when he had the opportunity to, he proved himself to be a decent guy. That was their mistake, is making him a decent guy. Yeah, like remember the episode where he personally baptizes his grandson? That, that no. one's with me. Crickets. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because they, they don't want you to remember that. They want you to remember, you know, the, the old coot in, in his recliner, you know, complaining like about the Italians and stuff. But uh but it it hails from a time when Americans as a whole, if not the radical left, just Americans, could disagree about things and without hating the other people and wanting to destroy them. I mean And look at Leia in that clip. She hates Han and Luke, she's hitting them. Yeah, she's like glaring. Yeah, she's, got, she's got pure contempt for the guys, uh, you know, pulling her out of the fire. Yeah. I just uh, so, anyways, um, let's see. There was uh, what do you think about the anti-publicity campaign uh, that Brie Larson is waging for Captain Marvel? All right. Are you afraid of the fact that I've seen one commercial about it and nothing else about this film? Well, Brie Larson has said just today, I think, that she wants to make sure that uh, on her publicity tour, and this is of a piece with all the other things she's done since she got this, uh, you know, much, much, much coveted position as Captain Marvel. She wants to make sure that... Um, the press on her publicity tour are not overwhelmingly white male um, because she's noticed that they are in other press tours for Marvel movies. She does not want too many white males in the press. 
that's that's a pretty high virtue score. I, I mean, I think <laughs> she she definitely hit hit a triple bonus there. Yep. Um, Brian, reactions to that? Yeah, I'll I'll second what John said, and right, it's it's the same attitude that we see in the Star Wars Galaxy of Adventures clip. That's that's the whole point. Is it? That, look, I've, I've said it before. These people hate you, guys. This might come as a shock to some longtime fans of Marvel Comics or fans of Star Wars, fans of Hollywood in general. They they really do hate you. They think you are the boogeyman living in their closet. They blame all of their problems on you. They think that utopia would be ushered in if they they could just exile all of you to the outer darkness. Okay? And so everything they make is informed by that. It's it's not informed by the the Christian Western tradition as media used to be up, up until I would I would argue other still vestiges of it in in the 80s. Okay? Hollywood and almost all artistic endeavors at least um, in legacy media have been infiltrated and are, are now informed by this hysterical death cult that just hates you. Well, I, I mean, I, I've got, I think I've got some hope for the future because it may be get a little worse before it gets better, but I, the masks is off. I, I think the, the true phonetics do in fact look crazy to most people. Uh, you can see you can see what's happening in places like Virginia, where um, they, they can't figure out uh, who to uh, impeach or, or remove from office and why. It's uh, uh, I I think it's gonna get better pretty soon, but it'll get a little worse first. I uh, I'm gonna jump on back to an earlier part in the conversation. I'm gonna need to let you go, so we're not gonna stretch this out much longer. We just wanted to. Give the crowd a little taste of the old school geek gab here. Um, when you were talking about SJWs being a sign that something has already died, what that reminded me of, uh, which is the perfect analogy, is that human beings have on our bodies viruses that can't hurt us because we're alive. Mm. But as soon as we die, we lose all resistance to those viruses and they start consuming the body. And so you get things like rigor mortis and eventually, you know, putrefaction. Um, and what you're saying is kind of analogous. As long as the media or the companies have, were confident enough in their ideas, were invested in the ideas of serving the consumer and did not give in to radicals who basically loathe and hate their customers or who pursue ideological uh, virtue signaling, then they were fine. They were resistant to that. The body died when they lost that resistance, which is when they began hiring SJWs or allowing SJW attitudes of abuse towards fans and things like that to flourish among their workers. Brilliantly said, yeah, these parasites have always been there, but 
while the spark of life remained, the immune system could fight him off. But uh, Elvis was left building the, uh, the the spirit has fled. And in the case of Hollywood and television and comics, it is Christendom. Okay, it's it, it's the Holy Spirit. It, it don't, he doesn't go where he's not wanted. They made it pretty clear they want nothing to do with one of the three main pillars that built the West. So, yeah, they're withering on the vine. And, uh, yeah, those um, natural flora and fauna are, are now just taking over and leaving a moldy corpse. Um, Notch, the billionaire inventor of Minecraft, multi-billionaire inventor of Minecraft, um, got almost as much money from selling Minecraft as George Lucas got from selling Star Wars. No lie. Um, Fascinating. He uh, sent a tweet out recently that was, may uh, our thoughts and players, now thought is T-H-O-T, thoughts and players be with you always. And I think people were giggling at it and stuff and looking at it as kind of, I think he just did it for fun. It was a pun. And some people were looking at it as kind of a dig at, at Christianity. But my response when I read that was, you know what? If you've read the Bible at all, you have to admit that that is absolutely a true statement. Yeah, <laughs> the, the wheat and the tares, right? Thoughts and players are with you always. That is utterly true. Yeah. No, so, I, I I don't take that amiss. I was, uh, no, neither did I. I didn't find it insulting. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's absolutely right. Um, but it, it's my, uh, you were talking about how these kinds of people have always been with, you know, comics and movies and TV. It's only now that they've been able to get a foothold because resistance to their, um, their ideas is so far gone. Yeah. Thoughts and players are with you always. It used to be that we could see them for what they were and, and resist them and, now we can't. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it's it's really sad, but uh, there there are cycles, right? There there are always cycles. Um, we are getting about to the end of. If you look at history, how long civilizations tend to last? It seems like human beings can really only keep civilizations going strong for two hundred fifty to five hundred years. So. You know, it might be time for a, a cleansing forest fire in Minecraft that uh, brings about a, a second spring. So I think the I think the interesting part from that perspective is that is that we've got an interesting set of uh, technological challenges and weapons that that whatever happens in this next cycle, the the collapse isn't going to look the same, is it? No, it can't. It can't really be the same because um, Rome could disappear, and there is empty space for people to live and move to. That's not the case anymore. I'm gonna. The planet's the planet's kind of full. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I think I'm gonna blow your your mind a little bit here because I was actually recently reading a travelogue by a Roman citizen living in the last days of the empire. And what really jumps out at you is 
he had no idea the big picture. He had, he had no idea what was going on. Like he saw the, the symptoms. I'd be like, oh, well, you know, we tried to make port of Herculaneum, but the, uh, the harbor was silted over and, you know, we couldn't dock there. Or, you know, we uh, tried to travel along this section of the Appian Way to Ravenna, but uh, it was washed out and no one had repaired it, right? So he keeps coming across all these signs of decay, like highwaymen, um, unscrupulous local officials, just infrastructure falling apart. But it didn't occur to him that, wow, my civilization... Really, I, I believe that Rome has the record for being the longest lasting we've ever managed as, as a species. In it, the West. Yeah, it's, I believe worldwide even. But, um, but they, Chinese, I want but, you to make your point. I don't need to argue about it. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's available. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll grant that. In the West, it, it's over. <laughs> and here's the thing. People didn't realize it for like a thousand years after that. That's why you have all these Western European kings like Charlemagne taking the title of like emperor of the Romans or Kaiser or in Russia, czar, because they, they didn't, it wasn't like a, a Renaissance style nostalgia for Rome. Not yet. It was the belief and they, they were trying to carry on the continuity of something that was already dead. So that's a roundabout way of saying, I think it's already over. I think we're in a dark age. We're 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 in the process now. Oh, well, I I tell you what, I I, I want to be a little hopeful here. Uh, this is a pretty good dark age in terms of quality of life. Uh, I do want to say this before we go. Um, I think one of the things that whether it makes a difference in the long term or not, it doesn't matter. And I'm going to be pretty bold in saying that because people are going to be like, what? Life is lived and morality exists moment to moment in the heart of human beings. If you will forgive the uh, seemingly, um, you know, self-impressed or self-important tone of that. I'm, I'm not trying to be. I'm trying to be simple and, and clear and humble as I can. Life is lived moment to moment in the hearts of human beings, and that's where good and evil reside. And so any time you as a person take up the challenge to live life better and to help other people around you, you are, you are scoring a victory that is eternal in nature, no matter what happens to your civilization. Now, you can fight for your civilization. You can love your civilization. And that's great. That is, you know, wholesome and right. But you are still doing good, even if you're not doing what you think will save your civilization. So I want to say this about popular culture. Yes, mainstream popular culture is corrupted, and it is dead in most respects, even though there are still some good things that can be had, it's pretty much dead. But in the Pulp Revolution uh, and in other similar uh, you know, groups of people and movements, there is hope that there may be a new generation of creators who, while not, um, maybe not being able to save all of civilization, at the very least can provide valuable and wholesome and 
good entertainment for society and thus win battles that may not seem historically significant but are eternally significant. So that's the hope I see is a lot of great things because, and I've said this again and again, and I don't know that people realize exactly how important it is that the pulp revolution went through its nascent phase where Jeffer was out spreading the word about the pulps. And then it moved into the academic phase where people were looking at uh, history and things like that to find good authors and to find out, you know, what happened to these great authors and all of that, which is still going on, by the way. And then the main core of the pulp revolution moved into making stuff. And that's where the discussion is for the most part right now is how to get published, how to publish for yourself, how to write, um, getting feedback and all that. It's very, very practically oriented. It's a bunch of people who are not sitting around pontificating about stuff, fluffing their egos uh, by producing opinions they think are great. It's a bunch of people who are craftsmen and are out there preparing to make the next generation of entertainment, the next generation of fiction, and your books are a perfect, uh, are a perfect example of that. I've, I am deeply touched. You, you humble me, sir. I'm just trying to entertain folks. Yep. Well, it's working. Uh, Brian Niemeyer, please have the last word. Well, don't get too attached to what's not for you. Okay. I know I've talked a lot about Christianity, but that's an important lesson we can take not just from Christ, but the Buddha is avoid all greed. Yes, I'm with John. It is going to get darker before the dawn and you're going to be tempted. They're going to, yes, as uh, JD said, the light shines. But uh, first the darkness grows. And the wheels on the bus go round and round. But try to pray that you won't be put to the test. Hold on to your integrity. And yes, we we do live in a time of a standard of living that would make pharaohs blush. But you know what? That itself is a hook in your heart that they, they will use. Like look at look at the fans who still cling to Star Wars who still subscribe to DC and Marvel comics just out, out of the, this false hope, right? That, that, that are blind to the fact that they are paying to be insulted. So yeah, like, like Daddy Warpig said, life is lived moment to moment in, in the human heart. It's, it's not about stuff. Stuff is passing away. Whoever dies for the most toys doesn't win. It's, about people, it's about our relationships with each other and with the Almighty. So keep the fire burning. And back, comment from Mexico Culture 40 on Indiegogo, because apparently I'm contributing to some sort of a, like I'm apparently some monk, like uh, preserving illuminated manuscripts now. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I picture now. You're just, you just gotta, just gotta keep writing, gotta save civilization. This, Giant robot combat is too important. No, it's awesome. It's 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 really great to have uh, people like you contributing in a positive way um, and writing good books too. Everybody should buy Brian's books. My pleasure. 
All right, guys. Uh, it actually has been a great pleasure. It's really good getting uh, the gang back together. Thank you for returning to for our uh, resurrection of the Geek Gap, Brian. It's It's been a pleasure to have you on. It has been an unmixed pleasure on this side as well. Look forward to talking to you guys again. Cool. Thanks. Daddy Warpig, thanks for coming on as always. Uh, you're the, uh, thank you for doing the intro for me because of technical <laughs> difficulties. Thanks to everyone <laughs> in the chat. Uh, yeah, we, a lot of love to the chat. Thanks, guys, for hanging out. They basically hung out and talked about um, Gundam uh, robot anime the whole time. So you got a great bunch of fans there. I, I am blessed to have them. All right, guys. Uh, this is John signing off on behalf of Geek Gab. This has been Geek Gab for February 12th. 2019. Uh, if you want to uh, listen to more of our shows, just click the subscribe button on YouTube. Don't forget to bell us to get your alerts. We're also found on SoundCloud, iTunes, all other sorts of uh, podcast places such as the Google Play Store, so you can get our this episode and others there. Uh, and you can always catch us live. Uh, check us out on Twitter. Uh, that's Geek Gab Fest on Twitter. You can follow Daddy Warpig on Twitter, Brian Niemeyer on Twitter. We'll, uh, we've got all of our handles will be available in the show notes. Uh, that's usually where we announce our shows, uh, which uh, which are not going to be regular, I guess. We'll, we'll figure that out in the coming weeks. At any rate, signing off for tonight, this is Geek Gab. Good night, y'all. <laughs>